Hello and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 105, Davos 2 and A Clash of Kings, part 1. <laughs> <laughs> I am one of your hosts, Correct. Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. And we've done the unthinkable. We have split an episode like a shadow baby erupting from a womb. Uh, we thought maybe we'd save the crowning for next week. We are, in fact, ooh, crowning, interesting. <laughs> That's something we should discuss at some point next week. <laughs> yeah, so we didn't think we would ever come to this point. As you all know, we started this podcast. People like, yeah, we're going to do two chapters, an episode, really just like, blaze on through and then we let ourselves get down to one chapter an episode and now we are crossing another rubicon <laughs> and um, we're splitting a chapter a trident if you will into two episodes <sighs> yes we've done the unthinkable we've split it we've taken half the baby and sent oh it God. down the river till next week <laughs> you're really into uh, this metaphor <laughs> i think it's really good i'm kicking it old testament here and there's a lot to explore. We aren't going to have to deal. I mean, we're not going to have to talk about Stannis for a handful of weeks after this, if not a month. You know, we have a handful of Davos chapters. We have some black water to get through, right? We get a little reprieve from Stannis, some heavier stuff to deal with, some other annoying stuff, but we'll get there. So we thought we'd cover this in full. We get to see Storm's end up close and personal, which I'm very excited about in the second part of the chapter, but... The first part, we have some really good stuff planned. Yes, definitely. I think uh, there's a lot of emotional cruxes, more than one, within this chapter. And so we're going to end this first half on one of them with the speech. That's speech and peach combined. Speech. No, this is not This is not what we do here. This is... This is what we I suddenly do understand... How Stannis could have cut off his partner's fingers. I get it. You know what? My partner thought that was really good. <laughs> he was that he no, cut off the fingers? No, the speech. Oh, the speech. Yes. Um, I think you're putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Where, where should it be? The speech. It's too hard to say. Anyways, Eliana is trying to make a pun between and peach a speech and but peach. yes we're ending it at the speech about the peach the peach the peach speech speeches the teaches the teaches of peaches huh? the teaches of peaches huh what, what? uh <laughs> yeah and actually stannis does fuck the pain away as we hear so we're gonna get into <laughs> oh, the teaches shit. of peaches you know when you think about it but we'll end next week's with the crowning as we said so this week first with the peach speech next week with the crowning so stay tuned for that but this week i think we want to open with something really interesting something close to eliana's heart which is cannibalism <laughs> christ <laughs> <laughs> well am i wrong you're not wrong it's a fascinating subject and you know who has made it even more fascinating our good friend Badonica. On Twitter, but also maybe a good friend of yours on Tumblr, as I don't really have one, and neither does the podcast. But Badonica on Twitter, in reaction to the Asha episode that we did with Wendy, where we dove into a lot of really good ideas regarding 
faith and also status and then cannibalism. Badanica wrote about cannibalism in a couple of different senses on Twitter and then wrote a more extended version on Tumblr and we will link this. Absolutely check it out, please, please, please. And that idea of cannibalism being metaphorical and discussing it in the context of incest, right? Badonica was saying that the Targaryens practice incest as a way to preserve their connection to dragons, but that also cannibalizes their own dynasty because it seems to be behind the stillbirths and mental illness that keeps recurring in their history. And then also says that Craster practices incest as a means of survival and because he's a terrible, disgusting person, and raping his own daughters to literally produce male children to give to the others. Even if he doesn't literally eat his sons, he is treating them as meat. And then Bedonica finally talks about the Lannister incest, and also says that it's the one that least fits this framework, but it's also a relationship that's very toxic, and in a way that development ends the legitimate Lannister lineage, since the kids are officially Baratheons but that George is fixated on incest and has presented some more functional examples of what that looks like through Jaehaerys and Alicent, but is also using it to show that when a community, uh, even the smallest nucleus of it, a family folds onto itself, it consumes itself. And I thought that was really interesting. You also get, again, that self-cannibalization, that Ouroboros, right, coming through and um, is exhausting its own resources, making everyone involved miserable. So thank you so much, Badonica. I, I really, really love this response. Not just because cannibalism is a fascinating subject, but I, I think it's just really well thought out and plays to a lot of different things that are coming up in the story. Yeah, it plays really well with the idea that fire consumes, which is so prominent in this plot as we move forward for Stannis. I fear it will become more prominent, so we will be linking this below in the description. Please check it out for some light reading over on Tumblr. It's a good one. I actually just was on Tumblr for the first time in forever before bed. I couldn't sleep. I was doing that old doom scrolling on Tumblr, seeing what the kids are up to these days there. The first thing that showed up was that, so I was very excited. I was like, what? Our... Our friend by Donica wrote this? How amazing. It was really good. Who also, by the way, has a lot of really awesome art. If you are interested in A Song of Ice and Fire art, please check them out and follow them for that as well. Yes. I love the Arya and Sansa piece they did. Maybe we should link that too. I'll pull it up. <laughs> All right. We have a lightning round and it's a doozy. This is a major storm. So to bring an end to this storm, a storm's end, if you will, we are going to go through this very thick lightning round. I'm so excited. And I know you are. Because of that (laughs) We are going to cover Tyrion, Sansa, and Catelyn chapters between Davos 1 and Davos 2. Starting off with Tyrion 3 through Tyrion 5, Stannis' new claim, arrives in King's Landing, and Cersei wants to suppress the letters. Tyrion and Littlefinger decide to treat the letter with contempt and spread their own rumors. Tyrion plays a long game with Pycelle, Littlefinger, and Varys to understand their loyalties, and after meeting with the alchemists in the Guildhall, Cersei helps to reveal which of these three men have been informing on Tyrion. Sansa 2 and 3. Sansa meets someone in the Godswood who promises to take her home. Although she's less excited by the prospect of who it is. She's mm-hmm. later beaten in front of the court for her brother's victories until Tyrion arrives to put an end to it. Catelyn 3 through 5. Catelyn meets with the two Baratheon kings, 
hoping to bring them together against the common enemy, the Lannisters. Coincidentally, Shay learns of Joffrey's parentage and puts two and two together that it has something to do with John Aaron's death. But Renly wants her to see his victory, forces her to stay in the camp overnight, and later she ends up witnessing his death, not his victory. She escapes with Brienne of Tarth, returning to the Riverlands to grieve for her husband and her dying father. Tyrion 639. 69? Uh, <laughs> Tyrion. He wishes. <laughs> he does. Uh, Tyrion brings news to Cersei of the Baratheon clash of kings happening between Stannis and Renly. He then poisons her, but like not that seriously. It's just diarrhea. I mean, who hasn't done that to themselves at least once, right? Uh, so that Tyrion can take care of some work at court. He dismisses the threat of the others, then sends Cleos Frey with new terms to Rob and takes Pycelle into custody. He's also disturbed in the night by Lancel, who brings Cersei's terms of releasing Pycelle and arresting Jocelyn Bywater. Tyrion also threatens Lancel with a little bit of blackmail and gets him on his side as a spy before heading to spend some time with Shade. No big deal. No big deal. The small council hears news of Renly's murder, and Tyrion advises they recruit the Roses to their side. Littlefinger volunteers to make the match. Marcella's goodbye to King's Landing turns into an absolute riot. Oh my god. Chloe, what did you write? And Tyrion considers for a moment supporting a different monarch. And that's Tyrion 69. Not only is it Tyrion 69, but I also want to add that it's Tyrion the rest of the books. Tyrion's like, maybe I should support someone else's claim to the throne. Hmm. Like every book, he's like, what about this one? Yeah. Yep. I mean, be careful yep. what you wish for, right, Tyrion? <laughs> and... The last Tyrion chapter, by the way, that last one, the nine of the 69, uh, it starts with the line, The girl never wept. Young as she was, Marcella Baratheon was a princess born. I wonder if that could be the start of a certain chapter in the Winds of Winter, but for another Baratheon girl. Oh. Shireen never wept. Young as she was, she was a princess born. Interesting. Man. I was just thinking so, about it, and I was really sad. So. Yeah, maybe somewhere in there. We know that what maybe. the prologue has to, is going to have Jane Westerling, but it could happen. Well, this leads us into Davos Two, Part One, <laughs> overview. After eight hundred chapters of delivering Stannis's mail to the realm, Davos returns to a nightmare-ridden king and his corpse brides, one Melisandre, who has been soothing Stannis to sleep. The threat of Renly may be dead, but Sir Courtney Penrose makes it pretty clear Stannis is on the losing side. By chapter's end, Davos finds out exactly how Melisandre's been soothing Stannis. Now, I do want to add that, do you think this is why everybody said you need to support the post office? Because of Davos delivering all these letters throughout the realm? Wow, yeah, I mean, like, it sounds to me like he's pretty understaffed. I think this is topical, honestly, and I like to bring politics and how it connects to the story into our podcast, and I think it's very important to always highlight politics, you know, relevant politics, and I think that the USPS deserves to be supported. This is a joke. I mean, it's this not a joke, joke, but it's... No, it's true. They they do deserve to be supported, but I was kidding about Davos being a part of them. Davos is a fictional character for people tuning into the podcast just so you know. 
<sighs> Sometimes bitches love fiction. You know what I mean? So the chapter opens with the crown stag crossed with the white quills of Penrose's russet field flap above. Sir Courtney Penrose, he's armorless on his horse. His weathered face shows no emotion at Stannis's trotting army. They're all in mail, even Davos, who does not know why. And Davos, who is all like, why am I here? And I'm like, yeah, I know that feeling <laughs> from a lot of my life. Not, not like in general, but there are moments. There are some great descriptions here of garb. Everyone is in their finest, right? Their Sunday's best, glaring fancy armor, war helms in the shape of animals, glittering jewels and plumes and feathers all across Stannis's party. They're glittering. I, I like the way that Courtney Penrose is described as well. His beard is described in a spade shape, which is kind of like your mountain guy beard, you might think. But when you say it's in a spade shape, it makes me think, of course, of spades, right? Of a suit in cards. And mm. Stannis here is the king, right? When it comes to cards. Stannis has everyone wear their finest war armor for obvious reasons, right? He wants the boy. He's trying to say, look what I've done. Look at my power, my might, hand over the castle. Renly as a kid, as we know, jumped around saying, look at me, I'm a king. But this is Stannis's, look at me, I'm a king. He wants to show how righteous he's become, that like Robert, he brings his enemies off their knees to unite them under this righteous cause to liberate Westeros, free it. But here to Courtney Penrose, it looks like nothing more than a threat because he's bringing all these men in their finest war gear to his house. This is where Courtney Penrose grew up. It practically took care of the place for Renly for the last decade and a half. And it's kind of more home to Courtney than it is Stannis. Don't tell mm. him. I know it's not really Stannis's fault, but he was sent to live on this island at 21, isolated. And Courtney was there as a kid. Courtney is there now. He has... No sons. Edric Storm is the closest thing to his son. Edric was left to grow up at Storm's End, forgotten, a bastard, raised by Courtenay. Of course Courtenay isn't giving this boy up. I think that's something we see in the last chapter for Tyrion right before this. It ends revolving on the thought of Tommen, on his royal blood, meaning that they need to keep a closer eye on him, and Tyrion and Bronn cooking up the scheme to quote-unquote kidnap him before the Blackwater for his safety and this whole event happening here with courtney penrose and all these lies being exchanged all hinge on edric storm's kidnapping yeah that's a good political tie-in and also i i think that's interesting what you were saying about stannis not getting to grow up here as a kid right like that's that feels shitty coming back to what's supposed to be your home and then people are like no fuck you feels bad man <laughs> and oh, yeah. You know, to expand the fashion hour just a little, go a little over time. Stannis obviously doesn't like fashion, but to some extent is the way that he's clothed, which is very simply except for his crown, his circlet, kind of reminds me a little bit of Daenerys choosing a simple bench, only it's not because I think probably Stannis just doesn't like fashion. But it, it's 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 a way to look at it, but also is Stannis just a big fan of Coco Chanel, you know, take off the last accessory that she put on thoughts it's it's so funny because i feel like there's a correlation that stannis while he doesn't love fashion personally knows that he can use it effectively to bring a certain sense of power and then you have a chapter in a storm of swords it's actually sansa's second chapter where sansa is very 
smitten with the dress she's about to get that is obviously a symbol of a big political event and something that has power. Uh, and she thinks of how she can wield this dress. And of course, she has no agency, so she doesn't get to have any wielding of the dress that's used against her. But it's just so interesting how garb is used in both of these plots. They have very interesting stories, these monarchs. They do. They do. All the all the clothing. More like, I don't know, a clash of clothes. Clothes of kings. Black Batha yeah. had joined the fleet eight days ago and Sienis had not spoken intimately. <laughs> To Davos sins, and this was actually the closest that Davos had been to the king since then. The king, of course, as we said, looks out of place in the crowd full of finery. His wool and boiled leather were plain, his only frivolous piece again being his crown, which is a red gold flame, pointing with the points moving at his temples uh, when flashing in the sunlight. And I think it's a fascinating, all of this, right? It's just a fascinating setup and opening for this chapter, considering that Stannis is suddenly... Like, after being apart from Davos for so long, goes up and is like, Davos, listen to all of my feelings. I have a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, he just erupts on him. Oh, know, like, yeah. How about you pay the guy a little more? Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, is it who's going to pay Davos? Insurance? I don't know. Right? Yeah, Davos is over here accepting these paper checks that uh, Salador's been getting that just say, like, I owe you on them. Davos is like, these do work for me. And I'm like, you idiot. <laughs> Uh, interesting speaking of black betha the ship we had a lot of chatter over on our discord where our thunder patreon members and above are chattering constantly about aswath and some interesting concepts like uh i believe there was a jade green sea egg from goop and melisandre <laughs> that got brought up by our friend dibbles and bits <laughs> Damn it's it. just <sighs> goop there it is and goop, uh, there it is one of the topics has been Black Betha, the ship. Everyone's like, why is it named Black Betha? And I think my take, and I feel like I should present this one to the class, is that it could have been named this already, right? It's a Baratheon ship, which that kind of leg of the family, of course, is related to the Baratheon leg. Uh, it could have been named this after Betha Blackwood. But I think it's fitting because Black Betha being named after Betha Blackwood who also likely went up in flames because of a king, right, uh, at Summerhall, just like Black Beth is about to do. This is foreshadowing. Giving you foreshadowing. The ship and the person go up in flames, Aliana. Wow, that's sad. <laughs> so that's my take. Yeah, it is a take. Fuck. Okay. I didn't think about it like <laughs> that sad, but okay. I mean, she had to be there, right? Like, it's the summer home. Like, they don't no one has confirmed who was there outside of Duncan Egg, but yeah. I think we know since there's no history. True, true. Well, Davos has been denied audience with his corpse king the past few times until, you know, when Sanus is like, no, our therapy appointment is now. And, you know, when he arrived and his son Devin told him that the king is often occupied. He's been plagued with nightmares ever since Renly died. Interesting. And only Melisandre was allowed near to soothe him to sleep. And Davos is like, I dare not ask my sons or Stannis of the methods of soothing. And then his son is a good boy, though. Devin proudly wears his Stannis uniform and has been growing ever more religious. Adopting the king's new faith. Davos is now, like, pretty hesitant about this, right? But thinks that, you know, it's expected that my son Devin will take on this new god of his king that he's so close to and just sort of moves on. 
So George is definitely leaning into the Hitler youth thing here with Devin. Like, it's becoming more obvious each chapter as I closely read it that Devin is being isolated by his outfit being different, like an acolyte-esque outfit being this white color, this holy color. He's starting to uh, become more formal with his father. No more familiarity, right? Davos looks at his son and he's like, can I trust this kid anymore? Yeah. Uh, And this is the very first time right here that Davos is like... I'm not going to ask my son about more of this because he just doesn't know if he can trust him. And if you're paying attention to our LaBelle Sauvage coverage from Philip Pullman, we're actually about to cover a chapter, I think, next month where we talk really in depth about something Pullman is referring, same thing with the Hitler Youth, to, which is the League of St. Alexander, the children of the League of St. Alexander. So it's interesting these are coming up at the same time. For Hitler youth, uh, they would be used to be leverage against their parents for their behavior. The Third Reich would isolate the child from their family and indoctrinate them and teach them that their family was bad or be using them as pawns for the Reich when they needed to overcome certain political obstacles or land obstacles. They banned the Boy Scouts and the Third Reich adopts all of their activities, like co-ops, everything the Boy Scouts were doing, all of the scouting activities, camping, singing, crafts, hiking, summer camps, uniforms, pledges, uh, let's make it all fun. And then over time, they took that fun and they began to twist it and train the youth into being a militia. And then slowly it became an industrial war machine for the Third Reich. So right now, Devin is just pouring glasses of water for Stannis and bringing him salt and tending to the night fires. But he's starting to sing about Stannis' God that he had never been raised to know, never seen nothing until Stannis. And if Davos so much as slips up in front of this kid now, Davos is like, am I leverage? Devin will be used against him as leverage, or vice versa. If Davos betrays Stannis, Devin could suffer, or Davos could suffer, one or the other. We see this used later with hostages in POV with the Miranese families, right? The Gazine, Lorac, Galars, Pals, Marakes. For Danny's cupbearers, she attempts to use it to stop the killings happening in the city. And while Ned was the one upkeeping a hostage situation with Theon in the north, we see this turned a little bit like Sansa in King's Landing, as we've mentioned. Sansa being co-opted by Cersei to write the letter to the north saying, you better bow or else dad's in trouble and I'm in trouble. Uh, Ned giving Sansa the Lannisters and not telling her, hey, House Stark forever, by the way. Like, if shit gets weird, come talk to me. It's too late. You're in too deep. You lost that kid. The second he kills Lady, as we've discussed, he loses Sansa, and Davos has lost Devin. It's it's gonna be over soon enough. It is really sad. He's lost Devin, and and we see that especially right in some of Melisandre's chapters, and like. You know, it, it's all as you said, but for Davos, you know, uh, unlike with the mirror knees, right? They they saw to an extent what was going, what was happening. Ned didn't, right? Because he trusted Robert initially, and and with Davos, right? He thought this was an honor. You know, he was thought like, "Wow, my son is going to be cupbearer to Stannis Baratheon. Like, what an honor!" And then now, he, it, as you said, it's being used against him. Not only could it be that Devin is used against Davos, or the other way around, like. It could be used against the rest of his family, Maria, and the other children that they have. So, yeah, it's a precarious situation. Also precarious is the situation in Storm's End. They're approaching Storm's End, and the walls are thick. They're high. 
thick as a castle wall, you know, maybe even the thickest of the castle walls, if you will. And Stannis begins his not-so-affectionate exchange with Courtney Penrose. Lord Alistair Florent pipes in, unhappy with how Penrose has addressed his king as Sir. But the battle of words seems to ignore him. And Lord Florent, anyway, right? He's in his Sunday best with gorgeous armor. A red-gold fox poked its shining snout out from his breastplate through a circle of lapis lazuli flowers. Very tall, very courtly, and very rich, the Lord of Brightwater Keep had been the first of Renly's bannermen to declare for Stannis, and the first to renounce his old gods and take up the Lord of Light. Fickle motherfucker. The worst. He is. I, mean, I don't know if he's the worst, but he's not up there, you know? Yeah. It's funny because he's just, like, the start, and, like, it gets worse from there. Yeah, it's like the last chapter when you have uh, Lord Valerian being the only motherfucker that makes sense, being like, yeah, yeah, Stannis, you talk a big game, let's see you do it, boy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing we started bad, right? And now we're coming in, and, like, people are, like, alright compared to Faring and Suggs, but... Yeah, for now. Stannis had left Queen Selyse over on Dragonstone for this meeting. Her uncle Axel stayed with her as well, but the Queen's men were stronger than ever in Stannis's party. Some could say that these Reachmen are growing strong. Wow! Right? Amazing! Got it? Get it? Oh, wow! Hired. Hired. 401k. Promoted. Uh, <laughs> CEO of the company. Benefits. Jesus. Healthcare. <laughs> Christ. Penrose ignores the other lords, especially Alistair, and then trusts Stannis. And his great company, he surveys each lord, such as John of the Green Apple Fossaways, Brian of the Red Apple Fossaways, the Estermonts, the Errols, the Varners, Karen, and Guillard. I really just want to say Guillard's name. Guillard from Renly's Rainbow Guard and Alistair. He notes that Davos Onion Knight is in the back, greeting him with like a semi-friendly manner and says, you know, I don't know that woman with you. She's a stranger. And then she introduces herself, of course, as Melisandre, garbed in red, her ruby drinking the daylight. And she says that she serves as king and the Lord of Light. But Courtney says, you know, I got other kings and other gods. Red, it's not Stannis and it's not R'hllor. <laughs> Courtney brings it. And to go back to what we were saying with the fashion hour, it's really clear from the way that Courtney reads the room that Stannis, all of the thought he put into how everyone was arranged, he's like... Okay, we're going to be reverse rainbow order because we don't want to oh be God. like Renly and we don't want to disrespect his memory. So all of the rainbow guard assemble. No, I'm just kidding. But it, there's a lot of shitting on going here. He's like, oh, so you have Renly's men and you don't have men that follow you. So Stannis thought this is kind of like what Robert would do, I guess. He would make common peace with his enemies, have him join the cause, Yada yada, so I'm gonna show up. I have to show Penrose my power is awesome. But he puts the only guy that Penrose even respects all the way at the back with the witch. You know what I mean? Like, no, no, no disrespect, Melisandre. I'm just using it to simplify things. But he's like, ah, the red lady and the onion knights back there. You're telling me you put all these shitty people that I don't want to see because they're cheap as hell in front of me and you put the good person at the back? it's disgusting to Penrose. He's like, you're shitting on Renly's corpse, where Stannis is like, I thought this would show him I would be merciful. I guess I tried. Yeah. Though I guess they're like, back this there this is Stannis, his white right? flag. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. And he's like, take your white flag, fuck that. And Lord Florence's yeah. not making it any easier, right? Because he's like, here to argue. He's like, 
Well, let me tell you about our Lord and Savior Valor at the front doorstep of Storm's End, and Penrose is like, whoa, 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 I'm not opening this door. And then Stannis just is like, no, we're going to cut to the chase. You had over a fortnight. No one has come to save you. And Stannis is once again commanding him to open his gates and give him that which is his by rights. I am once again asking you for Storm's <laughs> I was End. thinking that. I am once again, I'm once again asking you for Storm's End. I am once again asking you for Edric Storm. <sighs> Okay, but Stannis is like, here are my terms. If you deliver me Storm's End and the boy, I'll pardon you, like all these lords that are with me, get it? You can keep your weapons and whatever property you can carry, but your horse and all your pack animals now belong to me. Nice. So Stannis is allowing him a backpack and a weapon to go on foot and leave Storm's End where all these men that he just insulted and that also, like, already didn't really like the guy are gonna be near camping out hanging out and they're good guys so i don't think anything will happen but really nice just just commenting that it's very kind it's very kind hanging out penrose (sighs) is like i don't like that refuses and stannis is like well i still mean to have the boy we have this line here the king clenched his jaw he said nothing melisandre spoke and said May the Lord of Light protect you in your darkness, Sir Courtney. May the others bugger your Lord of Light, Penrose spat back, and wipe his ass with that rag you bear. Alistair Florin continues weaving his tail, and he's like, Stannis doesn't mean you any harm. The boy's <laughs> related to his niece, Delina. He's like, wow, Stannis Baratheon would never harm anyone of his own blood. And begins to say that <laughs> Penrose, of course, knows that he's honorable, and Penrose is like... I don't know. And I, too, am like, I I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, Penrose is like, interesting, Florent, you're an ambitious man, I know, who likes to turn cloak, like all the rest of these people out here, to gods and kings, just like I change my boots. The king's men are pretty pissed for a moment, but Davos is like, he's not technically wrong. He's got you all there. They all had once plotted against Stannis. In Renly's war room, Lord Florent was among them, even though Selyse was married to Stannis, Florence's niece. Bryce the Orange steps forward, another motherfucker. Like This guy's like, I'll make it better. Uh, and he speaks up for Stannis as the rightful king. And as Penrose's rightful king too. And Bryce the Orange is still wearing his rainbow cloak. Fucker. He calls Stannis Robert's heir and Renly's heir. But Penrose calls him out and he's like, interesting, if he's Renly's heir, where is Loras Tyrell? or Brienne of Tarth, or Thaddeus Rowan, or Tarly. They aren't here, and they loved Renly. Loved him. Really? (laughs) Actually, like, 50% of those people did. I don't get it. I'm gonna be honest. I I know you all hear me now weekly bitching about Stannis, and I'm sorry for that, I guess. Not really. There are other podcasts that you can listen to, but uh, Renly also sucks. He does suck. But maybe I will look at it far more sympathetically when we get to some Tyrion chapters and some Catelyn chapters to see him. Uh, but I just think he also kind of sucks. I mean, you probably won't. I like. I think Loras is interesting. Anyways, Sir Guyard, which I say it differently from you, and I'm very sorry. That's it's okay. How I think of it, it just keeps happening. Uh, the different pronunciations we have. 
we look up at the same stars and see such differences, Eliana, <laughs> and I love that about you. Sir Guyard makes fun of Brienne, and he's like, she's the one who slew Renly, and Courtney argues. A lie, Sir Courtney said. I knew Brienne when she was no more than a girl playing at her father's feet in Evenfall Hall, and I knew her still better when the Evenstar sent her here to Storm's End. She loved Renly Baratheon from the first moment she laid eyes on him. A blind man could see it. Aww. Aww. So, we've kind of already spoken about it last episode, regarding Davos taking up the mantle, right? Left by Ned Stark, becoming something of a moral compass of the story, especially due to the perspective that he has on, you know, like, let's not kill kids, and also that archetypal everyman <laughs> character that people can just sort of relate to, see themselves in, right? He's not nobility, as many of the characters in A Song of Ice and Fire are. And through this POV and our understanding of some of the other characters in this story, we're being primed then to perceive Courtney Penrose as good and right and just, especially in the face of Stannis' demands, not only because Davos is like, all right, all right, all right, Courtney Penrose is legit, he, he respects him, but also because Courtney Penrose ends up defending Brienne's honor here, right? When all these other people that we know are fucking dingles are like, no, Brienne of Tarth is a Slater king and isn't a traitor, right? Um, we were all in the tent when it happened with Catelyn and Brienne. We all know that she's innocent. We were there. And that also has ramifications for this chapter and Brienne. Therefore, when Courtney's like, yo, Brienne's very awesome and nice. I can't believe that she slew Renly, right? In that way, by evoking that, Brienne is lending her own credibility to Courtney Penrose narratively through that characterization. And also, in asking after Brienne, Courtney makes a good point. Like, these men try to argue that they're loyal to Storm's End, but, you know, in general, like, they, they're all like, yeah, we we have loyalty to Storm's End, but the castles have only ever been, like, a metonomic, like, device, metaphorical references for the people who hold it, right? Like, Courtney's like, this is just fucking rocks, it'll defend him, but, like, there's a reason the Northern Lords don't follow the Boltons because they have Winterfell. They, they kind of do, but they also secretly, many of them wage war. Right? They're plotting against the Boltons because of Ned's little girl, because of Ned, the Starks, and not because of Winterfell. And so Courtney makes a really good point in being like, all right, so sure, you're with the other Baratheon, but where are the people whose love would actually provide you legitimacy? The people who loved Renly and, and would therefore bequeath that same sort of legitimacy to Stannis. Because the people can be as much of a symbol as the buildings, as we see by all the hubbub that's raised about Barristan escaping. Yes, and I think we're going to get into a lot more of these symbols of power, especially concerning Edric Storm in the next chapter, but that's a lot of what Edric Storm is for Courtney, right? Like, that mm -hmm. is the last piece of the Baratheon legacy that is untouched and un, you know, like, unperverted. Uh, Edric is a kid, and he's a silly kid with big ears, and we see him in the future as we get into more Davos stuff, and he's a good kid. He's done nothing wrong. He and Shireen are great little cinnamon rolls, and they should have great lives. They're one cousins. of them maybe will, one probably won't. Uh, yeah, they're cousins. It's sweet, and it's interesting to keep that in perspective as we see these arguments where the boy is being talked about, and he's being reduced to a boy, and Courtney continually, as we'll hear Davos, of course, say, hey, his name's Edric, and Courtney's the same way. Courtney's like, you're not taking Edric. This is not... Yeah 
It's a non-starter. Absolutely. Lord Florence says Brienne would scarcely be the first maid maddened to murder by a man who spurned her, but he believes, personally, his theory is that Lady Catelyn murdered Renly, hmm. which is hysterical for so many reasons, right? Because Catelyn actually ends up maddened to murder, not by a man who spurns her, but because of the phrase spurning her family. And this meeting is going so badly. Like, we've gotten to the point where they're spouting conspiracy theories about whodunits, right? And not only has Stannis stuffed the good guy in the back, Davos, but all these guys are now making a horrible impression. They are fighting each other. They're like, well, no, I think this. And like, no, 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 I, it was this. And they're starting this infighting, and Stannis' whole group is just like breaking up behind him where there was supposed to be this glorious glittering gold thing in front of Courtney. Like, we're gonna stand strong and show that Penrose. Nope. Here we are. Yep. Courtney's, it's already broken. Courtney's like, what the fuck is going on? What have you brought me? And I, it's pretty <laughs> bullshit that they're like, oh, maddened to murder by a man who spurned her. And I'm like, Interesting that you would say that. We don't really see that mm-hmm. too much in the story, and even in real life, right? It tends to be a byproduct of toxic masculinity. We see it a lot in the real world, and it comes as men feeling entitled to women more often than the other way around. But, you know, whatever, whatever, you know. Yeah, there's only how many? You know what? Anyways, Lord Karen insists that Emin Kai saw Brienne do it and says Sir Courtenay has his oath on it. Courtney's like, what is your oath worth, sir? And Lord Karen's like, I swore to protect Renly with my own life. And Lord Karen's still alive, so spoiler, it turns out he didn't do a good job. The gentleman over at Not a Cast mentioned that this is like the Brendan Tully and Jamie Lannister showdown in the story. There are so many parallels. Stannis is this mixed bag of ineffective men that have zero respect, right, going on. Like, he's like, I do not respect these dudes. They all suck. Uh, and this is Jamie in the phrase at River Run. But the difference is that Stannis does not go in with the same mindset as Jamie, who goes to River Run with the gold spill, zero blood. He is very serious about that. And he does kind of get away with it, right? Like, people do die kind of because of his actions, but it's not directly his, it's a gray area. He's a gray character. We get it. We're moving on. Stannis is lying to himself about the blood that he is willing to spill and that he's about to spill. But as Melisandre later in this chapter says to Davos, your hand was holding the tiller. Your hand was on the sail. You are as culpable as I am, Lord Onion Knight. And uh, Stannis sent us both storm's end. So Stannis ordered it. Yeah, he did, and we'll get into that, I guess, what it means to order something, whatever, in culpability. Eventually, later in this chapter, Courtney Penrose turns on Guillard Morrigan, the Green, as well, saying that he should be ashamed of wearing the cloak now that he let Renly down, and Guillard threatens his tongue, saying that were this not a parlay, he would have it, and Courtney asks if he'd cast it in the same fire where he left his manhood. Oh, interesting. We saw that once with Varys. Anyways, uh, this is the same sort of rationale uh, that's used against Giard right now that is used against Beristin at one point, right? And quite a few other Kingsguard, especially after Joffrey dies, Mm. interestingly. They're like, alright, so what happened to your king that you're supposed to defend? Stannis interrupts, having enough of this back and forth. He 
clarifies that the Lord of Light killed Renly for his treason, and that, you know, it doesn't matter who killed him, but Renly died for treason. That's it. We're gonna <laughs> leave it there. Courtney has also heard enough. He meets Stannis' terms with single combat, with Stannis, or whatever champion that he chooses. And, um, again, other people have covered this, so we're not gonna really do it, but... And it's been on many different mediums and communities, but literally, Courtney throws his gauntlet slash glove, which is a signal for challenge. It's an insulting thing. Do you bite your thumb at the noble house of Baratheon, <laughs> sir? Do you bite your thumb at thee? Indeed. I bite my thumb at thee. A truly, truly. Oh, for I real, though. You right now. It's like one good breath. Anyways. <laughs> Maybe. Stannis refuses. He has 20,000 men with him, and his victory is certain. I give you fair warning. If you force me to take my castle by storm, you may expect no mercy. I'll hang you for traitors, every one of you. As the gods will it! Bring on your storm, my lord. And recall, if you do, the name of this castle. Beep, beep, beep. Sir Courtney gave a pull on his reins and rode back toward the gate. Stannis said no word, but turned his horse around and started back toward his camp. Mic drop! Ugh. <sighs> Amazing! 100 I mean, again, emojis, Courtney knows emojis. the place better, you know what I mean? It's his place. Sorry, Stannis. I just don't know why we worship R'hllor when Courtney has so much more fire <laughs> in his comebacks. Anyway. <sighs> The others follow Stannis back to camp. Lord Eastermont, who is Stannis's mother's dad, complains thousands will die if they storm the walls, saying the gods will bless whichever champion they choose. Davos thinks, God, old man, ye forget, we have only one god now, Melisandre's Lord of Light. John Fossaway, who we should really be giving Eliana more time with because she loves her green apples, says he'd volunteer, but Lord Karen and Sir Guyard are more skilled as knights of the group, which I think is the best. What a cowardly bullshit excuse that I would use. Hey, you, go, you know what? These guys are so much better than I am at, like, everything. You should let them do it because I think they're going to do a fantastic job, and I would fail, personally. I love being honest about how I will fail. You know, and I think that John has that energy, and I like that about John Fossaway. Someone, someone's got to be honest about their shortcomings, you know. Mm-hmm. And I have few, but so Stannis glares at them all, agreeing to this champion duel. Is this like a Pokemon <laughs> game? And demands quiet from the chattering magpies as he thinks of them around him. Then he asks Davos to ride with him, and Melisandre quietly accompanies them, bearing the standards. Weird chaperone moment. We have a quote here. Davos saw the looks that passed between the lordlings as he rode past them to join the king. These were no onion knights, but proud men from houses whose names were old in honor. Somehow he knew that Renly had never chided them in such a fashion. The youngest of the Baratheons had been born with a gift for easy courtesy that his brother sadly lacked. I like the duality going on that there is something with diplomacy and politics that cannot easily be replicated by saying, I believe this, I think this. Yes, all of these guys are assholes, but Davos is thinking, you'd do better to at least be nice to them, Stannis, instead of scolding them like children. Davos is absolutely trained to think this way, first of all, that these guys are his superiors, right? We've seen this throughout the last chapter and this chapter, and the difference is that Stannis actually has 
has no consequences when he treats these guys like a jerk. If Davos treated these guys like a jerk, it'd be a big deal. He would lose some status because of it. Maybe lose some fingers. I don't know. You know, he can't act out. Stannis' consequences when he treats someone like a jerk, they leave him alone, which is kind of what he wants. This behavior lends itself to Stannis' army as we progress through the story. This is how we have people like Clayton Sucks in A Dance with Dragons, who tells Asha, Stannis won't do anything about my bad behavior if I commit it. Uh, it's blatant. Stannis doesn't do anything. They don't learn why Stannis is bad at their behavior when he kind of scolds them in the camp. They just go, oh, he's moody. Uh, they think that it's still okay. So yes, Stannis touts his justice and his righteousness, but he allows these Southerners to keep going on because he thinks that their support is so important. But also, the action and what they bring to your camp is important, Stannis, and your campaign. Yeah, he'll like mildly insult them, but he essentially doesn't do anything to markedly change that system, right? Mm-hmm. Stannis asks Davos what he makes of Sir Courtney with the smuggler braid. Keeps calling Davos the smuggler throughout this chapter, and Davos calls Courtney stubborn, and Stannis calls it hungry for death, bargaining his life and all the lives of the men within those castles away, and then Stannis thinks Courtney mistook him for his brother with the idea of single combat. Stannis thinks, you know, I may- Maybe Courtney was just desperate with that move. He has no other hope. And I think there's a lot of projection here on Stannis' part, considering that Stannis is the one who looks like a corpse right now, which feels a little more hungry for death to me, and is the one who's resorting to, in my opinion, pretty desperate matters when it comes to, like, I don't know, shadow babies and shit like that, and, like, I will try a new hawk now, Davos. But besides Stannis deflecting to Robert at the end regarding single combat. It is quite telling that I think Stannis isn't willing to be the one to sacrifice himself to fight Penrose for this castle that and the boy that he wants, Edric Storm, that supposedly means so much to him. Oh, but that's his sacrifice, right? Edric is his sacrifice. That would be a oh, sacrifice right. for Stannis. That's true. Stannis is so glad to be here today and, you know, he loves his people so much that he's willing to kill a little boy, so that he can be king. God. <clears throat> Pardon me. Stannis agrees the castle will fall, and they must do it quickly. Lord Alistair had suggested he bring Sir Courtney's father, Lord Penrose, here and slip a noose around his neck, much like we see with Edmure Tully in the phrase, right? Davos disagrees with this method. He was more courteous than others when Davos met Courtney, and he's an old done man. Davos thinks that it would be very ill done. Courtney would watch his father die before betraying the trust, and it would just be dishonorable. Yeah, and it is interesting to hear that from Davos, which helps frame both the cowardice and eventual ineffectiveness of Ryman Frey and the Riverlands in the Jamie chapters that we covered as he parades Edmure Tully in front of the in front of Riverrun every morning. It's testament to the faith and dedication of the cause, which would mean uh, will, these people, right, being willing to watch his father die, or perhaps his nephew, depending on if we're talking about Penrose or Tully, but, you know, Davos is our our lens into this and being like, well, I don't think that that's how it should work. And actually, now that I think about it, it's pretty impressive that he's like learned all this politicking so fast in all these houses. Yeah, he's done a really good job listening and copying and mimicking or just like, you know, mimicking emotion, knowing how to like manage these lords. 
even last chapter we learned like this lord is grumpy this lord does this in the council this lord does this and i think that's impressive dude managing up is not easy nope davos makes it look pretty good he does Stannis is incredulous that Davos would spare these traitors, right? He doesn't understand why Davos is so adamant to esteem Courtney Penrose more highly than the Queen's men that stand with Stannis today. Davos says Penrose has faith. Stannis is like, it's misplaced. And Davos says, yeah, but it's still keeping faith. Stannis asks, why do the men behind us not keep faith? And Davos thinks, well, you know what? I've come too far with Stannis to play coy now and he gives it to him right he goes blunt and he says last year they were robert's men a moon ago they were renly's this morning they are yours whose will they be on the morrow (laughs) i told you melisandre he said to the red woman my onionite tells me the truth i see you know him well your grace the red woman said davos i have missed you sorely the king said i i have a tale of traitors your nose does not deceive you my lord's bannermen are inconstant even in their treasons i need them but you should know how it sickens me to pardon such as these when i have punished better men for lesser crimes (sighs) you have every right to reproach me sir davos is he admitting that maybe it was stupid of him to cut off Davos's fingers and that it did absolutely nothing and maybe he could have used those fingers now because he's having Davos do things like smuggle? Yeah, he's trying. He, he is doing that. Sundere. I mean, that's the thing, right? Sundere starts with a T-S and Stannis starts with an S-T. Coincidence? No. I think not. I think so. <laughs> like, it's just a coincidence. Um... <sighs> So, no, it, it's absolutely what you said, and that's something that we will absolutely dig into later in this chapter. And I realized that he said in constant, even their treasons, it makes me think of that line, in constant moon. In constant moon, which is a science fiction short story, but it's also a phrase that comes from Shakespeare, which as we know, George is very into. So, the moon is in constant, but the scene in general, I think, is like one of maybe two in my opinion, maybe three, whatever. Sympathetic Stannis moments. Uh, let me. We'll, we'll, I, I'm allowed to change my mind as we go through this read-through, but right now this is how I feel about it. One of two sympathetic... We've gotten through a lot of Stannis moments, and I don't find him that sympathetic, so I'm allowed to say this. Uh, moments just because he laughs, and I didn't read this aloud because I wanted to really just portray it for all of you. Um, the language of how Stannis laughs is very interesting because... For all of how Stannis says how different he and his brothers are, the usage of... The the line says, and Stannis laughed, a sudden gust, rough and full of scorn. That idea of a gust and rough, in my opinion, really evokes the memory of Robert and some of the other Baratheons. It, it, it reminds me of people like the Laughing Storm. Yeah, the language is very much shared by the proto-Baratheon in the story, even Rojar, uh, to an extent that... In my head, you have that burly, bearded, Baratheon laughter, right? Like, you can just close your eyes and see, almost like Maya Stone's story of Robert throwing her up in the air and remembering the laughter, and always knowing that she'd be caught on the way down. Uh, There's that whole idea, like, in your head, you like a Baratheon in a way, you know, to an extent. There's there's an extent everyone likes a good Baratheon. You're like, oh, Robert, you idiot. You ruined everything, but, you know, you, you could be worse. 
I, I don't associate the Baratheon like moniker in my head of a burly bearded guy with Stannis. I don't think of that, right? Because he's yeah. the Skeletor version of a Baratheon. Skeletor Baratheon. Uh, but for this one short moment, you do. You feel it. It, it. It's not as great of a scene as we think, right? Like, it, as sympathetic as it is, it reads kind of how their closeted lord and love life goes together because Stannis only asks for Davos, like, when no one's looking. He puts a show on the last eight days. He has not talked to Davos, like, barely made eye contact, short, brisk, barely talking to him. And then his southern knights, he has to put on this big puppet show. Again, the guys who he refuses to condemn for what they're actually doing bad. Uh, and he gives that, he, he, he like ignores him for a week and then gives Davos this dangerous, important mission that no one else that he's been paying attention to for eight days is suited for. He warms him up, butters him up and says, well, I need you to do this and you have nothing else to do, so you may as well go. He says he respects Davos more than most, but then... It also reads as the boss that takes advantage of your work ethic, you know, and that like, I had a boss, I will not name them once upon a time, who was always like, someday I'm going to take care of you, you know, like, uh, my next place I go or whatever, I'm going to start a business and I'm going to make sure you're taken care of. And would always say that. But then also, I was always the one working hard and always doing the dangerous missions and always the one putting myself on the line for things right and then one day i realized that boss probably wasn't going to take care of me and i probably had to go take care of me and i like got out of that situation right and like later down the line two years later this boss has called back trying to hire me and i'm like <laughs> no um but i digress that's what i would do to stannis i would say haha no uh but that's how i feel about it like how come davos is only good for the things that he's condemned him for before yeah right like i'm only using you for the things that i have told you are bad and i don't want in this world hmm exactly and then rewards all these other people for all the things that like he hates and i i think that's a big crux within this episode and is a big part of i don't like shish but <laughs> i guess it's about having faith Right, that this paper uh, check faith that Stannis has given. <laughs> Baby! I don't know uh, the words. I know how to touch a body. I know not any finger bones. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it does. It, like, it, it, it just feels like he's, he's like, well, it's interesting, Davos, that you're here. Remember that thing that I punished you for pretty brutally? I'm going to make you do it the rest of your life now and yeah. tell you it's bad, but have you do it anyway. They're not like giving him a chance to escape that past, right? And it's something that, that yeah. we see as attention for Davos's chapters, even in the previous chapter, because his sons are trying to remind him like, hey, dad, you're not a smuggler anymore. You're a knight. And Davos is like, that's right. I'm a knight. I'm here. I'm part of Stannis's guard. And then Stannis is like, so you're a smuggler, right? And also it turns out that, like, all the knights in Stannis' guard are assholes. So, like, he, all of his kids are like, but dad, you're a knight like them. And he's like, I don't know if I want to be a knight like them, do I? Yeah, but his kids, like, have been sheltered, right, from what yeah. assholes the other knights are. And I understandably so. Mm -hmm. I don't want, I wouldn't want my kids that do not exist to hang out with assholes. I don't want to hang out yeah. with assholes. Fuck. Yeah, I probably wouldn't put them in the situation. Yeah, so 
you know, Davos says that Stannis reproaches himself, right? More often than he does. I don't know. I mean, maybe. That's why I wish we had a Stannis POV. And that he must have these great lords to win the throne. And then Stannis comments, their fingers and all, and Davos feels for his luck finger bones at his neck, just touches them sort of reflexively, and Stannis is like, I'm surprised you haven't lost them, and asks, why do you keep them after the time that has passed? And Davos says, they remind me of what I was, where I came from. They remind me of your justice, my liege. It was justice, Stannis said. A good act does not wash out the bad, nor a bad act the good. Each should have its own reward. You were a hero and a smuggler. Well, I'm glad that, you know, Davos doesn't need his fingers to remind him where he came from, because people like Stannis are here to remind him all the time (laughs) where he came from. And all the other knights and all the other lords and the people around him, why do you keep your fingers, Davos? You don't need that. Hey, Davos, you need a hand? They yell from across the fucking courtyard. Shut the fuck up. Leave Davos alone. That is pretty much probably what they actually do. Um, Stannis looks at these lords that are marching behind them and mentions they ought to learn the same lesson that Davos has kind of learned. Maybe he should chop their fingers off. Good and true men who fought for Joffrey, believing Joffrey the king. Something the Northmen could also say of Rob Stark, but those who flock to Renly turn their backs on their rightful king for glory and power. Pardoned them, yes, forgiven but not forgotten. Stannis asks what the small folk say of Renly's death, and Davos tells him he was well-loved. They grieve. He's not dishonest with him. Stannis says fools love a fool, but he grieves for the boy he was and not the man he grew to be. That's uh, one way to put it, but I do think it's interesting that Stannis is just really out here calling all the people that he hopes to rule, all the ones that he thinks should choose him as leader, and calling all of them fools. It's like he thinks he's going to trick a certain group of people if he just keeps going. You know what I mean? Like, all right, well, I'm going to trade in these bannermen, you know, like, they're idiots, but I'm going to get the good ones if I just keep going. And it's like, the difference of leaders, as we've said... you don't have anyone in Stannis's army that's going to give a speech saying, I, we save Shireen. Because he's going to boil her up in a stew in front of him with the witch. But, no, I'm just kidding. But, like, you don't have the Ned, the Ned's daughter. You don't have that here. You don't have this inspiration. And how could you? Wouldn't you want that? Don't you want people that want to follow your leadership? Not people that are there just because they hope they get new land out of it. That, that, don't you? I don't know. 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 He, Stannis wants the reactions. Stannis is like, I'm blocked. I can't read their tweets and I'm blocked, Davos. I need you to tell me what their feed says. So Davos pulls up Cersei's feed and is like, here's her reaction to the incest. They shouted for King Stannis. They were like, yeah, King Stannis, though he says, I I can't speak for what happened when I left. I I mean, I appreciate that Davos said that. That's uh, an honest take. And he knows that people will say one thing in front of the lords and another when they're gone. Coming from that, you know? I mean, he does it. Yeah. And (laughs) he also says, you know, some men believe everything and some men believe nothing. And both sorts were there. 
when he was delivering the news. And Davos also mentions, you know, there was a rivaling rumor that was going around as well. And Stannis had surely likely heard that one, that Shireen was fathered by Patchface and Selyse had cucked Stannis with him. And that's pushed by Tyrion. Honestly, terrible, but also smart oppo on, research on Tyrion's part. Stannis thinks it's a ridiculous story that no one be would believe, but Davos says, you know, whether they believe it or not, they do love to tell a story. And, you know, this is very much like what we were saying happened to to Ned Stark, right? When people love that story, they love the story about Ned, honorable, fathering a bastard, Jon Snow. And to be quite frank, Stannis also quite loves to be told a story. It's just that the story's about him. <laughs> and... Davos thinks, and in many places, it had poisoned the well for their true tale, this, this story about Shireen, precisely what, of course, Littlefinger and Tyrion had hoped for. Then Stannis gives his uh, salty-ass speech. Robert could piss at a cup and men would call it wine, but I offer them pure cold water, and they squint in suspicion and mutter to each other about how queer it tastes. Stannis ground his teeth. If someone said I'd magicked myself into a boar to kill Robert, likely they'd believe that as well. Okay. Maybe, and this might be a stretch, so if I am being out of turn, uh, especially Stannerman, I know you want to correct me, I know you're sitting at home waiting for it. If someone said that Stannis magicked himself into a boar and killed Robert, don't you think that might be because of his reputation, especially after this chapter? Because doesn't Stannis, a Stannis-sized shadow, actually, erupt from Melisandre's... <clears throat> sorry, what's the word? A bigger-than-Stannis-sized shadow erupt from Melisandre's uh, coochie, her vagina, her shadow womb? And isn't it because Stannis gave the okay... So wouldn't you say that in a, a short speaking of terms here that Stannis magicked himself into a shadow to kill Renly and then Courtney Penrose? And I know we're going to get into like the, the did he do it? Did he not do it? Blah, 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 as we move forward here. But it's just kind of like maybe, bro, maybe your reputation for killing people magically is happening for a reason, because you keep killing people with magic, you dumb bitch. Yeah. I just, I'm putting it out there. Like, isn't that why those, why they think that, Stannis? Maybe that's the problem. Maybe because you're killing people with magic, not because they think you're, it's like when you lie to yourself and you're like, they think this because this, but like, it's actually really because of that. Like, hmm. Right, like, for Stannis, it's like, wow, you're actually doing this. And like, granted, he wasn't at the time. You believe your lies. Like, he believes his lies. And he needs, you know, we say this a lot about people in, in A Song of Ice and Fire, but he needs a better PR team. That isn't, let's uh, yeah. burn the gods that people worship. Also, right? fire Patchface from social media. Why would you let Patchface run your social media, Stannis? I don't know. Between that and, like, so he he just... <laughs> needs a better PR team and like the thing is you know the things that people are saying of Stannis if they say that he magicked into a board to kill Robert I mean he's acting like he's very maligned but let's be real people are making similar rumors of Sansa and Daenerys and, and Tyrion yeah. right it's not like he's the first one to suffer 
bad rumors in which people accuse him of witchcraft, and it's just that he's the only one literally using it right now, but whatever, whatever. Davos says that he can't stop the rumors, but his actions and vengeance on the true killers of Robert will show them his worth. And also, it. he's like, the whole time he's like, that's awful. I can't believe so-and-so would say this. What else did he say? Tell me more. I gotta know, Davos, what else did he say? That's why oh you my can't, god, that's horrible. Don't Google he said yourself, that. Stannis. Oh my god. <laughs> First lesson. He half hears everything Davos is saying. Like, I'm serious when I say he's like, oh, tell me more. Like, he he's half tell hearing what more, Davos is saying, and he's more. like, he's like, I will have justice for Robert, Ned, John, Aaron, and anyone that suffered at Cersei's hand. You know, like, he's getting angry, and Davos is like, what about Renly? He's like, are, oh, are they gonna get is. justice for him? Like that, but he's a pretty big deal, right? He's your brother. He was royalty. He's like the guy he's you king. killed with the magic boar. He's <laughs> like, you know, you you cut off my fingers for smuggling. What about the guy who pres- who committed regicide? Is that guy uh... gonna get the king's justice? And then, of course, we get we get the speech. And oh, okay. <laughs> the speech. The speech. Uh, am I? Sta- I'll be Stannis. You got a thing. For a long time, the king did not speak. Then very softly, he said, I think about it sometimes. Of Renly's dying. A green tent, candles, a woman screaming, blood. Stannis looked down at his hands. I was still abed when he died. Your devil will tell you. He tried to wake me. Dawn was nigh, and my lords were waiting, fretting. I I should have been a horse. Armored. I knew Renly would attack at break of day. Devon says I thrashed and cried out, but what does it matter? It was a dream. I was in my tent when Renly died, and when I woke, my hands were clean. Sir Davos Seaworth could feel his phantom fingertips start to itch. Something is wrong here. The one-time smuggler thought. Yet he nodded and said, I see. Renly offered me a peach. At our parlay. Mocked me. Defied me. Threatened me and offered me a peach. I thought he was trying a blame went for mine own. Was that his purpose? To make me show fear? Or was it... Was it one of his pointless jests when he spoke of how sweet the peach was to his words have some hidden meaning? The king gave a shake of his head, like a dog shaking a rabbit to snap its neck. Only Redley could vex me so with a piece of fruit. He brought his doom on himself with his treason, but I did love him, Davos. I know that now. I swear. I will go to my grave thinking brother's peach. Thank you. Thank you. I will uh, be accepting all the awards for my <coughs> nomination as Stannis Baratheon. I almost yep. got emotional about it, but I'm not, because... Move over, Stephen Dillon. <laughs> Chloe's on the move. Jon Snow, here. never heard of him. <laughs> move over, Liam Cunningham. <laughs> Truly, if we want to discuss my performance, I just want you to know that I really was really deep into it. I was thinking of Stannis getting, like, you know, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. more upset because he was trying, like, he was experiencing an emotion and he hasn't ever experienced one was my idea, you know? Like, he was like, how do I process? I think I'm sad. 
halfway through. So I feel like that's important when thinking about Stannis and how he's never processed an emotion. I think he processes a lot of emotions. He's just like, mm-mm, bury it down, bury it down, push, he's push. He's like, oh, Melisandre, soothe an emotion out of me. Yeah, he's like, put it in the compartment. He's like, oops, <laughs> accidentally opened it. <laughs> gotta try and close that again. Overshared with Davos again. I gotta stop <laughs> yep. doing that. Pretty soon I'm gonna have to make him a lord if I keep oversharing with him. Fuck. Pretty much. He knows way too much. Uh. So the speech, <laughs> the speech, the speech. We got there. As you can tell from this episode and the previous one and the one before that and all the other episodes <laughs> that we've done, one of the things that bothers me most about Stannis Baratheon is his lack of self awareness in a way that many people, including myself, but you know, many people. Thankfully, I, I'm glad that more people are pointing this out. It leads to his hypocrisy, right? Like, a moment ago, Stannis lamented that people would trust whatever Robert gave them, even a cup of piss, yet they distrust anything that Stannis offers them. And we're going to talk about that cup of cold water next episode and what it means to offer a cup of cold water and whether or not it, it's actually poison, right? And But here, coming back to Robert and the piss and then the distrusting of Stannis, turns out this is very much part of the crux of the Baratheon brothers' angst because they're all angsty just a little bit. And Mm -hmm. Renly offered Stannis, right, just a plain peach, a normal-ass fruit, something that was likely a simple, innocent gesture from Renly, which of course is laden with symbolism. I'm not going to act like it's not very symbolic because a lot of people have analyzed that and I think all that symbolism stands in general and I will link you all to some of those in a second. But it was a normal ass peach and Stannis did the very thing that he accuses everyone of doing to him when he offers them a cold cup of water. He was like, oh, I thought Renly had a blade and not a peach. And he thinks that the peach is poisoned, maybe metaphorically, but also, I don't know, not literally, but maybe poisoned with insults, right? Or to make Stannis flinch when it, like the cup of cold water that he thinks that he has, it's just a peach. And Renly was like, I don't know, I'm just going to share fruit. And... Which is what I would do if I had a peach. I really love peaches. They're one of my favorite fruits. Um, But, you know, again, Stannis is guilty of doing the exact same thing that he says everyone does to him. He doesn't offer that same generosity to others, especially within his own family. So it's really, there's there's a really rich irony there. But again, gonna breeze through this because it's been covered exhaustively by others. The peach, it's joy, youth, humor, summer, innocence, desire, extravagance, and deceit. And I will link threads by, one is by a now-deleted account on Reddit, I don't know who it was anymore, and another is by Fat Walda, our good friend who joined us for some of the Arian chapters, and you know, this, the peach, like the Agamemnon parallels for Stannis, which we mentioned before in that episode with Wendy. Both of these are things that have been covered exhaustively by other people, so we don't really feel like we need to dig into it into our cast. Absolutely. And it it sucks because Stannis refuses to trust or to ally himself, right? Not just with his brothers, with anyone, with Rob. Uh, he has a fierce independence, and he feels like if he joins it to someone else, his victory will be weakened. He wants to be able to say he did it himself, and he thinks that people like Renly close to him would want that in ruin instead of trying to help make a sort of peace. The thing is, as a king, you don't want war in your kingdom unless you're power-hungry and looking for an opportunity to rise. 
you want your people to be protected because those are the people that make sure your reign is still happening in the long run, right? Like taxes, your kingdom runs on taxes. You work together to protect your people when you have common interests that align. Cattle and Stark, that was a common interest, and both of them alienated her. Stannis didn't want a crown. He didn't want rulership. He wanted a congratulations. You won from a handful of people at once. Four people specifically, his dead parents, his dead brother, and his now dead brother. And once more, he's getting it wrong. Something great about getting Daenerys' point of view, where we don't get Stannis's, is that we get to see Danny imagining helping people on an intimate level. And we don't see that with Stannis. We don't see him saving a kitten from a tree or saving the puppy from the house he accidentally burnt down with Berlor. You know, like, we just don't see it. And to your point regarding common interests, right, Daenerys tries to find she she has that common interest right with the people in yes. geese of wanting peace there right and she debatably makes the wrong call in terms of uh compromising with the people who want to reinstate slavery in the places that she's trying to liberate but she sees that she has a common cause she has a goal that she believes is in the benefit of most people and is willing to compromise and make that and make that sacrifice yeah absolutely and and what she's doing is she's making a sacrifice of her own morals not someone else's coming back to the speech on the question of whether or not stannis is guilty for renly's death or what amount of responsibility he bears for it you know this is a this is another one of those things right that's heavily debated in the fandom and to an extent we'll come back to what responsibility means like in a second but i think that what we see in the speech was a conundrum. It was a moral quandary that really intrigued George, and he ends up actually exploring it much further in Duncan Egg. And I'm going to talk a little bit, like, in terms of when all of these books were published, chronologically, in terms of the real world and time, The Hedge Knight actually directly follows Clash in terms of publication and precedes Storm. And we see that with each Duncan Egg novella, we can kind of see some of those uh, ideas being workshopped, and it bridges the books that come around it, right? Such as the seeds for the Blackfires or hidden Targaryens, right? The Blackfires start getting planted, and then we start seeing some of those popping up a little bit in Storm. Uh, the hidden Targaryens and things with Bloodraven come up right before Dance does, but also on the heels of Feast, etc. So this question of Stannis's culpability in the death of Renly, I think, very much mirrors Makar's own circumstances after the trial of the seven and to start i want to go back to the language and tone of baylor's death we have these lines brother's mace most like baylor said thickly he's strong he winced that feels queer i here it comes pate lifted the battered helm away gods be good oh gods oh gods oh gods preserve dunk saw something red and wet fall out of the helm Someone was screaming, high and terrible. Against the bleak gray sky swayed a tall, tall prince in black armor with only half a skull. He could see red blood and pale bone beneath and something else, something blue-gray and pulpy. A queer, troubled look passed across Baylor Breakspear's face like a cloud passing before a sun. He raised his hand and touched the back of his head with two fingers, oh so lightly, and then he fell. So I want us to compare the way that this action is described and the stilted, almost bemused tone of Baylor when he first discusses his brother's mace as the likely culprit of his injury, and then the, ah, oh, weird feeling-ness that, that he gives to his death, and then the expression on his face, 
all of that body language and compare it to this moment in A Clash of Kings. She heard Renly begin a jest, his shadow moving, lifting its sword, black on green, candles guttering, shivering, something was queer, wrong, and then she saw Renly's sword, still in its scabbard, sheathed still, but the shadow sword. Cold, Renly said in a small, puzzled voice, a heartbeat, before the steel of his gorget was parted like cheesecloth beneath the shadow of a blade that was not there. He had time to make a small, thick gasp before the blood came rushing out of his throat. <laughs> Your face when that was done. I'm very into this performance today with you. Yes, this thank you. All for you, Eliana. There's a lot of performances lives. this episode. I, I mean, I'm just putting it out there that this is... Our relationship was leading to this moment. The very first thing we recorded together was the Hedge Knight. That's true. That's true. It was. This is special wow. to me. So this is special. Um, so, in these two scenes, right, like, moments before Baylor collapses, he's in Dunk's arms, as Renly suddenly is in Brienne's arms. Brienne, a descendant of Dunk, and then we have, again, that, that similar body language, the usage of the word queer, strange, describing, oh, this death feels a little wrong, or, like, what the situation is wrong. And so now let's come back to Stannis' own speech. The sorry, the speech, speech, the speech, and the words that Maycar then utters to Dunk. Some men will say I meant to kill my brother. The gods know it's a lie, but I will hear the whispers till the day I die. And it was my mace that dealt the fatal blow. I have no doubt. The only other foes he faced in the melee were three Kingsguard, whose vows forbade them to do any more than defend themselves. So it was me. Strange to say, I do not recall the blow that broke his skull. Is that a mercy or a curse? Some of both, I think. From the way he looked at Dunk, it seemed the prince wanted an answer. I could not say, your grace. Perhaps he should have hated Maycar, but instead he felt a queer sympathy for the man. You swung the mace, my lord, but it was for me Prince Baylor died. So... I killed him too, as much as you. So I want to reflect upon that line that Makar Targaryen says. I will hear the whispers till the day I die, and it was my mace that dealt the fatal blow. Which has a very strikingly similar construction and feel to it, as I will go to my grave thinking of my brother's peach, and I do think it was Makar. You know, th there are theories that maybe Makar might have been framed or other things were happening, but I do think that in this situation, right, it, it, it had to have been Makar, solely for George to pose this very moral, thematic question to the readers, because despite... What some men think themes are very, in fact, important to the story of A Song of Ice and Fire. And it's why when discussing this chapter, he comes back to this idea of morality and often, often returns with questions rather than answers. George does, because it, a lot of things aren't meant to be very morally clear, right? Makar gives us a more honest glimpse into some of the questions that we see Stannis is internally wrestling with. And he shows Davos, like, just a bit, a, the tip of the iceberg of the moral, like, fucking glacier that's underneath the surface, surface for Stannis right now. And as for that exchange and how it ends with Dunk's words of, so I killed him too, as much as you. And that, you know, Baylor was only on the field 
because of Dunk, right? Because of the things that were going on. And actually, interestingly, there were quite a few hands and fingers that were at risk there that were at stake. And, you know, I think it comes up quite a bit later in this chapter that we'll probably discuss next episode. But when Melisandre asked Davos, like, you know, interesting that, like, your idea of responsibility and who's at fault and who isn't, because she's like, isn't that your hand that's manning this boat that's taking me into Storm's End right now? Aren't you the one that's driving this boat along? And Stannis is questioning, right, then, of his own hand and Renly's death, right? It's a much more sinister take here on what happens to Maekar, because Stannis does have much more of a desire. There's a very clear benefit on Stannis' side, in part, when it comes to Renly's death, that isn't evident in Maekar's. And, you know, power is, of course, a looming discussion in this series, and I think that, to Maekar's credit, he understands what it means to have power, and therefore the responsibility that comes along with it, the burdens that come along with it. He knows that what happened out there on the Trial of the Seven, and... It, it is very ambiguous. He loved his brother. We see that, you know, everyone fucking loved Baylor, right? But, like, Baylor actually seemed like a legit good guy, right? Not like Renly. Everyone loved Renly, but Baylor knew his, he knew his lords. He knew the people who fought for him. He knew Arlen Pennytree. He remembered these people. He says he did. It's good enough for me. <laughs> I mean, he was willing to fight for Dunk, right? And I yeah. think that's a thing. Like, he was willing to make that stand, and he obviously has some personality flaws in the beginning, you see, right? Like, just like Renly, like, he's too uh, invested in the system, but he's absolutely, like, the best parts of Renly, Robert, Ned, all these, like, fucking proto-Uwu, uh, they're the best lord, like, the best of the best. He has all the traits of the best of the best. You can't not love Baylor by the- when he takes the field, that's like- Yeah. What? Like- I'm I mean, you're like, who's gonna, yeah, who's gonna be there? And he lays it all on the line. He gives his life for Dunk's cause. Mm -hmm. And Makar, like, how can he not respect that in his brother? And he knows that the death and his hand in his brother's death is ambiguous, but he takes responsibility for his brother's death. Sanus, of course, has, like, it's it's also ambiguous, but you can see that in the speech he's reluctant to shoulder that responsibility or face the possibility at that moment, despite the fact that he desired that power, right? And that's why he feels, there's there's a kind of regret there in his speech when he goes, I love my brother and I know that now. He's like, fuck, I didn't know that before. And I think you know, the fact that he's not willing, he, he's still afraid to take responsibility for Renly's death as opposed to Makar. I, I mean, you all know the famous 20th century American proverb with great power comes great responsibility. Well, I don't want to sling Webb furiously, <laughs> but I agree. And before I go back to Makar, because I have so many effing ideas, because I'm so glad you freaking talked about this. I'm just like really excited about it because, again, this reawakens our lust for each other with the hedge well. knight, but but lewd uh but also something you just said is uh it reminds me of Ariane in spoilers if you haven't read the excerpts of Ariane from Wow yet the two one and two it's not really spoiling anything but she thinks she's sitting there thinking about quentin and she thinks i love my brother and she thinks all these thoughts so she goes i love my brother don't i and it reminds me of this right like i love my brother don't i uh obviously Ariane's not the one that's going to torch her brother that already happened from the dragons as we know canonically but like she doesn't have that information yet and she's gonna do some crazy things because of power uh until she knows about him being dead and interesting i, I can't wait to see 
that, I think that'll be a really interesting thing to kind of see unfold in comparison to this plot. Especially with Storm's End, as well as we'll talk about a lot oh, yes. in the next chapter. She is in the Stormlands right now for Aegon, so we'll get there. Makar is such an accurate look at Stannis, and uh, you laid out a handful of quotes earlier, but there's so much more than just that in the text, right? Because every time he's discussed, Makar is straight up Stannis. He is discussed as Stannis by George. Prince Makar was a hard man, proud and full of scorn. Earlier, when Stannis gave the laugh that we so famously like as two of our Stannis moments, uh, it's described as scornful and hard. George does this on purpose. Renly and Robert are contrasted. It's like Baylor's the fusion of the proto-best ruler, like we said, and Makar is even described as uncharismatic and harsh in the book, even the mannerisms of how he treats Dunk. Dunk tried to stammer out thanks. Prince Makar cut him off. Very well, sir. You are grateful. Now be off with you. Another fave. Makar Targaryen looked down on him coldly. If a cause is just, good men will fight for it. If you can find no champion, sir, it will be because you are guilty. Could anything be more plain? Even when Dunk gets made a part of the household by Makar and given a steady job that changes his life, Makar says, Aegon is to return to my castle at Summerhall. There's a place for you there, a knight of my household. You'll swear your sword to me, and Aegon can squire for you. While you train him, my master at arms will finish your own training. I think Stannis's fate versus Makar's fight, fate is also interesting, right? Makar is said to die about a year after Arian dies trying to drink wildfire. Who knows if Stannis dies or if he lives yet, but his daughter's gonna drink a little wildfire, Hey, Uh, <coughs> sorry, I'm so sorry that I'm this way. There is a line when Aemon, actually, Aemon Targaryen is speaking about Makar, his father, to Samwell, Tarly, and he says, And my father, he never thought the throne would pass to him, and yet it did. He used to say that was his punishment for the blow that slew his brother. I pray he found the peace and death he never knew in life. In a different perfect world, that's something Shireen could say, right? I pray my father found peace and death he never knew in life if the roles were reversed and if she survived the Game of Thrones. But the throne will not pass to Stannis. He's going to burn his daughter. He's not going to find peace even when he meets death. And that's sad. I don't think he'll ever properly mourn for the childhood he lost, for the brothers he lost, the parents he lost due to this fucking iron throne right due to suitors for the prince over in the east and due to his brother rising up to take back and rebel in what's right and help the country in a better direction and renly who god damn it renly uh his lack of mourning and this compartmentalizing and this lack of understanding that has brought stannis to this moment it's wrecked him it's sad he's chasing this glory that's burnt his own family down and it's just like the Targaryens who burnt their own family down. He's not going to get out in time to save it. Fire will consume him too. And as Aemon says about Stannis, better men have done worse things. Stannis is great. He is great. He's righteous and just, and he's a big force to be dealt with in Westeros, but he's also terrible. And now he's also red. Yes, he looks down at his hands and he doesn't see it on them, but he knows that they're red with Renly's blood. Or he's mm -hmm. not sure. Unlike Makar, 
That's the question that they both have. And after this, after this exchange that Davos and Stannis have, where Davos is like, what just happened? <laughs> is this patient client confidentiality? <laughs> Pippa? Someone? <laughs> Anything? Osha? Osha? Wait, Osha. no, that's in, that's in no, A Dance no, with Dragons. That's she's later. all the way in the north. Yes, yes. Uh... uh they arrive back at camp. Yeah, they arrive back at camp. And, uh, spoilers, that's it. That's it, bitches. That's it for the week. Because we're coming back next week. We are done for the week. That is it. They are coming back to camp. And next week, we are going to start off with Stannis sending Davos on this huge mission to go smuggle. As I said, I'm not happy about it. I don't like that Stannis is like, what if you just got back into the crime life, though, Davos? Even though you're trying real hard to be a good guy. What if? What if? I'll give you some... He doesn't even give him anything extra. He just says, do it. No, he it's doesn't. bullshit. So. Yeah. And uh, that needs a whole episode to unpack, honestly. It does. And I mean, like, it's a, it's a keystone chapter, right? And I need that yeah. quite literally within the context of A Clash of Kings, right? Like, the, the little stone that goes into the architectural arch. There's a lot, lot in here that we'll discuss next episode of why this chapter ties together a lot of the things that are in this book from the beginning to the end, so... Yes, and again, we want to cherish the time that we spend oh my God. with Stannis leave Baratheon in this book. You I'm know, we just want to hang out with him. Oppressed. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not, you're not being, what does that I'm mean? Being oppressed. <sighs> so next week we'll return for part two of Davos, Davos chapter two in A Clash of Kings. Thank you for listening in. Make sure you reach out to us with any of your thoughts after this episode via email or social media. Our email address is girlsgonecanon, C-A-N-O-N, at gmail.com. Our Twitter account is at girlsgonecanon, C-A-N-O-N. Please feel free to peruse the tweets, give them a like, hang out with us. Yes, and you know, if you would like to follow Girls Gone Canon for the part two episode, because these are... As they say, unprecedented times. This is an <laughs> unprecedented time for Girls Gone Canon. You can find us on Podbean, which is where all these episodes are hosted. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, uh, iHeartRadio. You're doing great. Pandora, Amazon, Amazon. Podcasts, Storm. No, I made that up. Acast? You made Stormcast up. Acast is a thing. You did it. Good night. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. I did it. Good job, me. And of course, if you are not already a patron of us, over at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, C-A-N-O-N, every episode that we do is made because of these patrons and for you if you're listening, you too. But our patrons keep us going. We are for the patrons. For the fans, for the friends, by the fans, friends, patrons. So check it out, patreon.com, Girls Gone Canon. We also have a Discord server for patrons in the Thunder tier or the $10 tier and up. You can join us to chat, come hang out for brunch and happy hour, which will be happening next week, which is October, oh gosh, 24th, 25th. We will be putting more info out for patrons soon. So be sure to keep up with that. Yes, it's spooky season. Spooky season. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. 
Goodbye, everyone. So romantic that you brought up the hedge knight tonight. I love you too, you know, buddy. I did for you. The anniversary of the last time we saw each other. (laughs) Good night, everyone.